Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 106 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. During my inspections over the past week, I've noticed a few colonies starting to prepare for swarming. Stay tuned for my latest update and some suggestions for swarm season preparations. Beekeeping Short and Sweet beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm grateful to Honeypaw Hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season. Honeypaw Hives, as I'm sure you're aware, are Polly Langstroth Hives, and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season, courtesy of Honeypaw. Check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website, and I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual. Honeypore Hives, designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. Welcome back to the podcast, and as lockdown continues, we find ourselves in quite a weird world right now. Traffic has reduced to minimal numbers. It's like driving around on an early Sunday morning every day of the week. Something else I've noticed as I walk to my allotment each day is more people are inclined to say hello, even though they're keeping their distance. People I've seen over the years and never really had any interaction with now seem to make eye contact and smile or say hello or good morning. It's kind of strange, really. Maybe it's that feeling of vulnerability that makes people suddenly feel like making contact with others. Personally, I'm as grumpy as ever when I walk up to the allotment and see the slugs have been eating at the cabbages, but that's a completely different problem I face. It's been a fantastic week for inspecting our colonies. The weather for the last week was fantastic overall. Easter weekend was sunny and dry and mostly warm. However, the forecast for a return to more spring-like conditions of warm sunshine coupled with cool breezes and cold nights seemed to be on the horizon. My inspection of the colonies on the oilseed rape is probably the most interesting as there are around 33 colonies there and it was... Full inspections, including adding queen excluders and supers to several more of the colonies. It takes quite a while to go through 30-plus colonies, having a detailed look and making sure all is okay. It's a great time of year to be thorough, though. Not as many bees in the hive just yet, so room enough to be able to look closely at frames of brood to make sure all is well and healthy. And that, of course, is part of the integrated pest management system. Something I did notice, and worth mentioning here, is what's termed the through-gut of larvae. It's really obvious when you look closely at the young larvae. In healthy larvae, it can normally be seen as a coloured line running along the back of the larvae, and is a good sign that the larvae is feeding and growing well. The colour is produced mainly by the colour of the pollen that they're eating, so it may well vary a bit, and at the moment, for all my colonies on the oilseed rape, the colour of this line is a fairly bright yellow. Larvae stuffed full of oilseed rape pollen. It's a good time to check brood for the various issues they may suffer from, as combs won't be covered with bees. It's easy enough to move bees around on the frame with your fingers, or even shake them off to reveal a complete frame of brood. But if you have just a smallish patch of brood on a frame, it's simple enough to ease the bees away from where you want to look. As usual with my colonies, we have a mixed bag of strong, 
average and weak colonies, although it's fair to say the weaker ones are fewer in number this year, I think because of the mild winter and also the Apipasta Plus feeds that we gave them all. The nukes we overwintered are all now in full-size hives, with a couple of exceptions, and apart from those, the other colonies are growing nicely into their new homes. It's always tremendous to see a nucleus colony expand across a full brood box when they have a large workforce and plenty of resources. There I go again, banging on about my little mantra of getting bees to do things you want. They can only do it if they have enough bees and enough resources. On that subject, I did notice one colony had taken some perfectly good wax foundation and chewed several large holes into it along the lines of the wire buried within the sheet of foundation. This is normally a result of wanting to build comb elsewhere but not having enough home-produced wax, so what do they do? They rob it from somewhere else and that leaves you with a sheet of foundation that ultimately is going to have to be removed and replaced. It's a mild annoyance, but as I say, if they don't have the resources, they either can't or won't do what you want them to do. In this case, they didn't have enough wax-producing workers, so opted to find it from somewhere else. The start of the oilseed rape season, for me, has been quite a positive one, for the most part. The warmer weather has seen the bees build up quite quickly, and the resources of nectar and pollen have been freely available from the flowering plants to enable the bees to continue their work. Talking of flowering plants, I posted a picture of a hedgerow full of white flowers and proclaimed it to be hawthorn. Posted the picture to Twitter and Instagram and then watched the social media police pull me up for wrongly naming the plant as hawthorn when anyone should know it's really blackthorn. I even got the Latin name described to me. It was all quite amusing and in good humour for the most part. No one was being rude or ill-natured. I've seen some terrible things posted to some people who post quite innocent questions about beekeeping in some forums, and it really is enough to make you want to log out and never go back. That said, our Facebook group, called Stuart's Beekeeping Basics, has some lovely beekeepers willing to answer all the regular beginner questions as many times as anyone is willing to ask them, and I like to think of it as a safe place for beginners to ask their questions without being shot down in flames, as it were. Of course, I also have my Patreon page where I like to think there's a reciprocal support system in place and I regularly have lovely conversations with beekeepers of all experience levels about the latest challenges that they're facing. Check out my link in my podcast notes to sign up if you haven't already. Anyway, back to the inspections at the oilseed rape. Lots of sealed brood in most colonies, nice and healthy. I refer to it as a digestive biscuit colour, and even the shape is kind of round. They're one of my favourite biscuits, it has to be said. Simple tastes, really, here. Anyway, I digress. Lots of sealed brood means shortly there will be lots of newly emerged workers, and this is where my early season swarm management kicks into play. As those workers emerge, there will be a sudden, dramatic increase in numbers within the hives, and you need to be able to provide them with sufficient space, not just to store the nectar and pollen, but also somewhere for all those bees to go. Adding extra supers and boxes generally will give extra space for them to migrate into. Jobs will change naturally within the hive. Workers will move from general cleaning to nursing and storage of nectar and pollen, dehydration of nectar into honey, guard duty and beyond to forager. 
those are just a few of the tasks that workers will undertake in their lifetime. And if you've given them enough room, you may well delay or reduce the urge for them to start building queen cells and swarm. Having enough room is just one part of the swarm management and prevention strategy a beekeeper can employ. But if you get it right early enough, you can prevent a lot of colonies from hitting the big red button too early in the season. I got caught out badly last year, it has to be said, along with a lot of other beekeepers, although it doesn't make it any easier to stomach when you see swarm upon swarm leaving your apiary. So this year, I've been quite quick to provide additional space, and I'm hoping it will prevent the overcrowding situation once all of the sealed brood emerges over the next week or two. Some of you will remember the call-out saga of the swarm colony that settled on the side of our local church. The church warden contacted me uh, to ask if I would remove them late last autumn. I managed to get everything in place, but then the church decided they didn't want to pay up for the hire of a scaffold tower, instead suggesting that I could do the work from a ladder. Needless to say, I refused, and the colony was left to see how they fared through the winter. Well, you won't be surprised to hear that not only did they survive the winter, but they appear to be thriving and growing quite quickly now. If you check my Patreon page, there's a couple of new pictures of them that I've taken just this week. I think what was really interesting is the visual effect of seeing the colony expand. By that I mean the Queen has obviously been busy through March laying eggs and developing her colony, and recently the bare expanse of comb has slowly but surely been occupied by more and more worker bees. Funnily enough, I've just taken a telephone call from a supplier of scaffold who's offered to come along and put up the scaffold in exchange for a nucleus of bees later in the summer as he wants to start beekeeping. Isn't it funny how things work out sometimes? So the plan is to get in this week, probably at the time this podcast goes live actually, and see if we can get the bees off the side of the church before they swarm. Looking at some of my colonies that are now producing queen cups, it wouldn't surprise me if we were a day late. That's just about the luck we would have with them after all this time. That said, we'll do what we can when we can and see how we end up. I'm going to set up the camera to produce some video and photographs to record the event, so we'll see how it all turns out. It can't be much more difficult than that bird box cutout we performed at the fishing lakes a couple of years ago, and there's a video on YouTube that you can take a look at to see exactly how that went. I'm going to isolate the collected colony for most of this season, Although, I have to admit, so far, I've never collected a swarm or performed a cutout and found them to be carrying a serious brood disease. But you really have to treat each new find as if it was infected and keep your own bees safe. Check out my Twitter and Instagram feeds for pictures of the colony prior to it being removed. It really is quite impressive. Looking ahead, I anticipate a number of colonies will be trying to produce queen cells over the next few days and weeks. For those of you new to beekeeping, it's a natural process and the only way the honeybee colony can reproduce. Without swarming, colonies could quite easily just wither and die out. Swarming is essential for colonies to renew and replace. New locations are found and fresh comb built. Older queens are replaced by younger, more productive queens. And of course, the loading of pests and diseases is dramatically reduced by leaving it all behind. 
Beekeepers have made a bit of a problem for themselves, really, over the years. When honeybees were kept in skeps, those lovely straw baskets now mostly used for swarm collection, the only way to access the honey was to destroy the bees and cut out the comb. Encouraging bees to swarm meant a ready supply of new colonies to place into skeps for the latter part of the season to then be nurtured through the winter and into the new season the following year, only for the whole process to start over again. So beekeepers actually encouraged swarming. We wanted bees to swarm. Rather ironic, really, don't you think? That, of course, was before Reverend Langstroth discovered the bee space and created the framed beehive that we all know and use today. And of course, we all want non-swarmy bees now. Swarming is seen as a problem that needs preventing rather than a natural process that, if we think about what we're doing, we can harness and still use to our own advantage, while still allowing the natural instinct of the bees to be fulfilled. I'll talk some more about using the swarming process in future podcasts and videos. But for now, imagine your favourite colony, the productive one, the calm one, the chilled out one. It's disease-free and overwinters with the minimum of fuss. I wish I had bees like that anyway. Let's just imagine that we have. The only problem is you've seen the first signs of swarming. Queen cups are now being produced and you've spotted one with an egg in it. So what can you do? Well, the simplest thing is that you can just let it happen. You'll lose around half your bees, the old queen will disappear over the hedge at the bottom of the garden, never to be seen again, and you'll be left with a virgin queen who will mate and become the new egg-laying machine of your beehive. But let's just think about our neighbours and the general public walking past, and seeing that cloud of bees overhead. We don't want to alarm them, and we want to be as responsible beekeepers as we possibly can, so let's try to prevent the loss of so many bees. The quickest method of swarm control in this case might be removing the old queen and a couple of frames of brood and food and popping her into a nuke box somewhere else in the garden. You've saved your queen and with any luck increased the number of colonies you have by one. There are risks with this and a slightly more involved operation might be carrying out what we call an artificial swarm. It's not terribly complicated but you do need to have a little bit more kit. Move the old hive away from its current position by about four or five metres. Set up a new hive on the site of the old hive. Find the old queen and pop her into the new hive with a frame of emerging brood but no eggs or young larvae. She'll continue to lay eggs, the flying bees will settle into their new home with her and it will seem like they've swarmed. The old hive will realise quickly that they have no queen and they'll produce queen cells which you can then reduce to one and the new queen will emerge, mate, and head up the remnants of the old colony as her own. Two colonies from one, which can be united together by removing the old queen, and there you have a new queen heading up the combined colony, meaning you haven't had to increase the number of colonies that you have, something that a lot of beekeepers are keen to do. Not everyone wants to continually increase exponentially the numbers of colonies that they have, and that's great. I'll talk in more detail next week about the artificial swarm method and look at a couple of other ways you can look to delay or even prevent swarming. But for a quick solution to an imminent challenge, the artificial swarm might be all you need. Well, that's it for this week. I'm off to start my weekly inspection routine while the sun is shining and the temperatures are perfect for inspections. Have a great beekeeping week. Stay safe 
And please do remember to check out my Patreon page where you can access lots more content. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Thank you.